Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Really 007 podcast for this fourth and final part of our in-depth review of From Russia With Love. Another thing I thought we'd be saying that maybe he isn't quite the spy that Bond certainly is. It's a pretty poor spillage, isn't it? When he when he spills the, the wine. <laughs> it, it just looks so obvious. I know the viewer needs to know it's obvious, so maybe for the cinematic purposes, they would have been confused if it looked accidental. But clearly from there, again, Chris, I think you might be right that Bond is probably on to him when he does that. But he still, that would mean he'd still let, uh, let him obviously put the chlorohydrate into the drink yeah the, the, the whole scene is, is all like you, you can see this is where the suspicions are starting to build like he that the, the, uh, grant is thinking oh he's on to me because when you cut to the the, the the restaurant cart grant's getting up to go and see where bond is and obviously he comes to him, he's like, oh i don't know where you are. i was just wondering where you were getting up to kind of thing and um so obviously he's thinking oh i bet he's been going through that briefcase or he's something's going on there and obviously, to, to, for him to, to, to order the wrong wine yeah. is the ultimate crime here. <laughs> the, 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 Can't <laughs> all the audience is new. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. The red kind. 18. Which, if anyone asks me if I want a glass, I'll say yeah. the red kind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just say that, yeah. <laughs> Chlorohydrate, listen to me. <laughs> the link with the living daylights there. It's such a bond <laughs> word, isn't it? It's never been used in any of the... Scenario. Floral hydrogen. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's brilliant. Hydrogen chloride, isn't it meant to be? Anyway, that's what they call it here in Bomber's World. But uh, yeah, it I don't know, it obviously uh works on Tatiana. She she's obviously having a sleep in that lovely sort of two rooms attached to each other. And I think it's more effective at night as well. I think that makes it even more oh, more yeah. effective. Yeah. Yeah, he knocks out Bond, doesn't he? So he 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 pretty much has him where he wants him. And you think, well, he's done 
he's done that, and then you must be thinking, how on earth is Bond going to get out of this? Yeah, so it's like, because he goes in and Bond's obviously suspicious by this point, and Bond turns off the light where Tatiana is, and they go in, and then Bond sticks his gun out at him, and he starts asking some questions. And by this point, Grant is completely busted. And if I'm right, he calls him 07, oh, which I always yeah. found bizarre. <laughs> yeah, he goes, he goes careful, 07. Like that, oh. he, he doesn't say double 07, which is just another little hit. So unofficial. And, yeah, the audience hate. Yeah, careful, 07. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he says there's only room for one, my escape, and all the rest of it. Um, and he actually... To be fair to him, he claws it back a bit. Yeah. Because yeah. He, he does claw it back a bit because he manages to say, let's have a look on a map. So he gets it at the map and he gets Bond in the position where he can strike. So there you start. It, that bit there is far more that kind of tactile assassin that we've been used to for the majority of the film. And then we get to the scene where uh, it takes over and Bond completely outwits him. Yeah, we mentioned the the fish, did we? The red wine with fish that should have told you something. Um, but I think we alluded to it before that going through the scheme, we the sort of the if the the audience didn't know exactly what was going on, we do now, don't we? Through this, because Bond hasn't got a clue clearly uh, about the ramp, the permutations, the ramifications of where he's been. He didn't realise that Grant was with Spectre, uh, he thought he was with Smirsh. He then still assumes Tatiana is with him and Smirsh, he thinks that they're all on that. He didn't know Kleb defected, even though he knew Kleb. So yeah, I like that he knows <laughs> amazing. I like that. Yeah, yeah, like a brilliant player for another team. And like, Oh, I didn't know she'd signed for somebody, you know, <laughs> in a transfer window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is where you think, can... Can he be bought out? Can he somehow Bond do it that way? And of course, he's got the 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 film, hasn't he, of, of Bond bonking Tatiana? So he he's got that as leverage that he could use to frame him. And there's a there's a suggestion that he might do that. We've got so many good lines in this scene. We've got you know which lunatic asylum did they get you out of? And, <laughs> Don't make it tougher on yourself. Love how he whispers that. Ah. <laughs> oh. I love yeah. the, um, the, the, the uh, you may know the right wines, but you're the one on your knees. Yeah. I think that's oh, a great yeah. line. Uh, and, and, yeah, Till you, you kiss well. my feet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bullets, yeah. I've got that written down. The first won't kill you. Not the second, not even the third. Not mm. till you crawl over here, kiss my foot. <laughs> oh. Proper terrifying. Yeah. Angry man. I feel, I'm worried for Bond. Yeah. He absolutely grits his teeth when he says yeah. it, though, as well, doesn't he? he oh, yeah. Pure anger. Yeah, and hatred. Yeah. He gives a lovely backhanded slap that people don't tend to do anymore these days. <laughs> but yeah, and then. Physically different back then, it, Well, it, it is, yeah. You didn't arch your back when you got <laughs> shot out of an eater. You just drop out and bang your knees on the floor or something. <laughs> he, he does then try and bribe Grant, doesn't he, with the gold sovereigns. So it's, like I said before, it's gorgeous how each element of the, the attaché case is is involved in the scene, everyone. So you think the gold sovereigns early on, you know, when you when you were growing up and you were watching them out of order, you thought, gold sovereigns, that's not really a gadget, is it? How's that going to come into the, the plot or how's that going to be used by a bomb? But it does. Nice. Um, it's sort of a gadget because it's concealed, I suppose, isn't it? 
Yeah, and it's a genuine, you know, if you if he's trying to sort of bribe his way across a border, you know, you, you, yeah. can, you can use that. Yeah. I um, I mean, as a t- I'm sorry, I'm a primary teacher and, you know, one for the audience. But, you know, in my top drawer for children who really, you know, behave or do well in work, I've got like a little box of stickers and they come out on a... Um, you know, a bit of tape, a bit of film, exact same width <laughs> as the top oh. rip, and the stickers are gold circles, and every time I peel it out, you know, oh. have a gold sovereign. So <laughs> really, you know, oh, it's just, but it, it goes back to how these images go, you know, they yeah. come from your childhood, kind of. Um, it's sort of imprinted in your brain. I find it interesting as well that, you know, you this film's always credited as a down-to-earth one. Oh, Goldfinger's one where the gadgets come in. Hang on a minute. Yeah. The greatest gadget of all Bond history is one of the main reasons why Bond gets out of yeah. this situation. The only reason I would. So, well, yeah. That, and to be honest, um, Red Grant's stupidity. I, I do. F- I, 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 I have a slight criticism that it just seems completely out of character, this bit. I know he's a psychopath, so he, so he could change his, um, he could change his like, mind like that. But he does get Bond but to open it so- first, doesn't he? Uh, Bond... Bond opens it to shows that he it does work like that if there was any inkling, and then he, he does he turn around the yeah I don't know what you call the it lock. <laughs> the lock yeah yeah <laughs> thingy me about yeah <laughs> now pay attention double seven I don't know I I bought it just about that he he wasn't being stupid when he when he opened the case do you think he was um, there was any inkling that Grant would have um, spurred either the girl or anything for the, the mm. extra money. So he does that. He says, he goes, we'll double it. He says, your, your word of honour as an English gentleman. Yeah. Grant asks it. As if he's kind of like, oh, oh hang on. Oh, we're I negotiating am- now. You know, there is there is something here. I, I don't I don't think he really would have done that. But I think there, there is that moment where I don't know, like say maybe, because Grant does come across as, as I suppose he's like uh, the, the, the more working class of the of the two. He's, he's you know, he's, he's you know, uh, he is the rough one, and and it was like then the thought of you know extra money. You know he's in it for the money. He's not in it. He's not in it for you know hmm. patriotism or anything like yeah. that. That Bond is you know serving his country. CBA. Think, oh right, okay, yeah. <laughs> I get a bit of uh, some uh, a bit more cash out of this. I also think he couldn't. Res- I don't think he would at this point. Grant can't resist a fight with Bond. I can't imagine him walking away now. And, he, and then he offers him for he pays him for, for the cigarettes as well, doesn't he? Asks him for a cigarette, and he's all like. What's it worth? Fifty gold, suffer. <laughs> we've got to get onto the fight now. We've we've skirted around it for too long. We it's one of the most famous fights in cinema history, never mind Bond history. And I know that um, the director Terence Young he pretty much choreographed it himself. I think because he at Cambridge University he was a boxer. Amazing. But he was yeah he was he was well into this. There was also stunt coordinator Peter Perkins, and the scene took three weeks to film just yeah. one fight. I read that amazing. when they were like already way behind schedule and over budget and everything. Yeah, apparently a lot of people on the production, the staff, were worried because it was getting too violent and they thought people were going to get injured here and it was too dangerous for the for the the actors. And that's right, Shaw and Connery did. All of the stunts, the entire thing, apart from one shot, apparently. I'm not quite sure what shot that was, but it, you never for a second think that it was a stuntman, do you, in the entire fight? No. I love that, to, to, see, to find out that it took weeks. And that's given that there's no special effects, there's no 
you know, flying kicks or anything that's, you know, anti-gravity. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's a really proper physical yeah, fight. Proper yeah. Strap. yeah. And um <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it took three weeks to make it look right. You know, they're not they're not walking away until it's done properly and the pace is right and every you you feel every that's just um, I love thinking about that. Because mm. the fight itself is good enough. You know, as in that I'm obsessed with it as it is, but to find out that they you know, took so many weeks to get it right just makes you respect it so much more. Even more, sorry. And it, it's, it's such a such a great scene, often copied. You know, not in, not just in Bond films, but you know the the the, the 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 both characters are so kind of you've seen what they're capable of. That it's a bit like having two sort of caged animals, and then they're let loose on each other, and it's unforgiving, brutal scrap. You know, proper none of this like kind of John Wayne kind of swing. Yeah. You know, it takes about a minute to land. Kind of, this is elbows and all sorts yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, and it has, and and, and the, again, the craftsmanship of the filmmaking. To, that suddenly, the, the train, suddenly the, the sound effects of the train gets louder. Yeah, there's no music. Yeah, mm-hmm. shop, yeah no music. Newton Bond, and and it's just it's yeah. so gripping, brilliant. And like I say, the editing is just perfect absolutely spot on and the camera is just in the right place where you you, you can the geography of of who's stood were doing what in the space you're you're able to follow it perfectly there's no there's not an ounce of fat on that scene i think and that's why it stands up and it's it's, and it's absolutely understandable it took so long to film yeah it's the claustrophobic nature of it that makes it for me yeah you know you you compare it to the spectre one and i know you know, that's very much a large train that you're going up and down but this is just a brawl it's a brawl in two carriages uh, it's it's incredibly realistic um, you buy it and it's probably what a fight on a train would be like <laughs> yeah and I think I, I, do you think there's any parallel at all with the Japanese fighting fish at all you know as in wow. yeah. two, yeah, yeah. two you know Two of the same species, kind of, who were locked in a cage together, kind of. Um, and, you know, someone's got to come out on top. Wow. And it is... It, I mean, I yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, no, I think it's really good. Um, but I, And also just, like, how brutal his death, you know, like, the, the, the oh, stabbing him with a knife and... Yeah, <laughs> sure. and obviously the garroting is, is it doesn't hold off. It is, it is, and this is the difference. A lot of filmmakers need to learn the difference between kind of when it comes to violence, it is violent, but it's not. It doesn't feel gratuitous. It's, yeah. you, there's nothing kind of like ridiculous. You know, you, you know that this is a painful death, and it's <laughs> shocking, and it's horrible to watch. You don't need you know everything else to go with it. And that's one thing that does surprise me, just is is that how viscerally violent that those scenes are from a film that's you know getting on. It helps as well that you don't hear the sort of silly sound design. You're like, psh, 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 <laughs> and everything. Yeah, yeah. Horrible yeah. grunts, noises, pain, thrashing into things, and then yeah, even though the, the way he, when he finally dies, he hardly makes a sound, does he? It's just you know, there's no like or anything like that. It's just horrible like <laughs> <laughs> there is you know you know like in many ways it's like you know in your classroom when there was a fight between you know, children <laughs> yeah. and, well people yeah. in your class yeah. you know when you're when you're older like, or, or when you see a fight at the football or when you whenever yeah. you see a fight that 
there's a there's a feeling afterwards that's just really uncomfortable. Ugly. Like, yeah. What you've just what you've just seen is yeah. not nice. It's like humans really it's being really unpleasant. And then, like I mentioned before, like I think when we're talking about wardrobe, the way Sean Connery is, you know, his colours in pieces, his hair's dishevelled, sweat. Mm. That is how, you know, when you come out of a fight, it's just that horribly disorientated, flustered, hot, and just completely, really, you know, what's just happened here, kind of. No, Harry, that, that was invented by Daniel Craig in Casino Royale. That was the first time <laughs> that, that was done. You're wrong there, I'm afraid. <laughs> I hadn't noticed until uh, until watching it yesterday as well that how many times um, they bounce off Tanya, like yeah, yeah, so they do. Don't yeah, they? I didn't realise that, which is brilliant because it's what would happen when you you know you've got a woman lying down fast asleep, completely knocked out. Not much oh, room. Just, you're not going to go yeah. mind the woman. Mm. It's going to. I love that. Just a lovely little yeah. touch. Yeah. Mm. No um, glamour. No glamour. No. Superb scene, as we all agree. And then almost that is a bit like in Octopussy. That's the conclusion of the main bit. That's like the equivalent of when the bomb uh, in the circus is is stopped. But there's more to come because we need to finish off uh, Rosa Klebb. They still want to kill Bond, of course. And there's a real incentive that we know Grant's the top assassin, but he's a tiny piece of the pie, isn't it, in terms of Spectre? And they're not going to let him get away with this. So we get, first of all, we get a helicopter chase. And then we, of course, get a boat escape. And Bond, he uses uh, Grant's escape vehicle, which is, again, quite good thinking from Bond, because he knows that Grant slash Nash is going to need to get off this uh, train and get out of get out of Dodge, so to speak. And he, <laughs> uses, that, he uses that vehicle, doesn't he? And Grant... Grant, yeah, Grant. yeah. <laughs> Bond's dodgy acting. Now. Yeah. yeah, then, then of course we get to the famous North by Northwest scene, and apparently the the the, the helicopter was some of it was filmed with a radio controlled miniature helicopter, but I for the life of me couldn't tell that that was the case. It looked pretty no, no, pretty pretty authentic. To you. <laughs> oh, maybe not. Maybe. I'm, oh, I'm, okay. I'm, uh, no, I don't think I'm. I'm thinking back, to be honest. I, <laughs> I, I when I'm watching all these films of this era, I'm aware that that effect will be used in miniatures. Yeah. So there's an element of um, this, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I get frustrated by this scene. Oh. Um, I, I've. It's not that I think it's bad, <laughs> um, but this scene obviously isn't in the book, and it was predominantly yeah. put in because they felt that they needed an extra action scene to finish it. Just the helicopter bit, you mean? Or the, the whole, helicopter whole boat. Yeah. No, no, there's a lot of it I like. I love the whole Kleb thing. I love the whole the Spectre thing. I think sensational. Um, it's 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 the helicopter and it's the 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 boat scene. I think. Um, I think the helicopter thing that I find frustrating with is the pointlessness of what the helicopter does. <laughs> like initially, that no, it's true though. Like the initial like trying to sting him, isn't it, or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're first trying to throw the grenades, and that's understandable. But then they just basically just fly at him. And it's like, well, what's that going to do? Do you know what I mean? You just go on the floor. <laughs> it, it's a really pointless exercise, what it does. And it's like, and, and there's no tension in the scene. 
There's no, I don't find the tension in the scene. And he just, Bond just goes, I'll sit in a, I'll sit under a rock and I'll shoot him. And I, I, I find that what we've just had is a phenomenal bit of skill from Spectre. They have been like the master of their crafts. And basically they've only lost this because Red Grant got a bit greedy. That's the only reason they have lost yeah. this. And then the best that they can come up with is two Burks flying on a helicopter, <laughs> basically just coming down. Oh, I'll tell you what we'll try and do. We'll try and wipe him out with my helicopter. We're not going to shoot him at or anything. I just, I, it, it winds me up because it's so out of place compared to what we've had before. Do you think it's obviously set in Scotland as well? Sorry, obviously filmed in Scotland. Blatant. Too much, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, we had to find some criticism with the film, didn't we? <laughs> but just going back to that truck, you know, Grant's escape oh, yes. truck. So I have all the 40th anniversary James Bond cars, and I have, like, the DB5 at the ejector seat and the um, <laughs> and the missiles. I have Little Nelly with flying missiles. I have um, – which other ones do I have on there? Please I don't the, tell me what you're going to say. I have the Citroen C2. Oh, yes. Ruben's favourite one, the truck. <laughs> Daddy, can I? Daddy, can I play with truck, please? Oh, <laughs> so yeah, the vegetable truck. The, the vegetable truck. That is Ruben's favorite James Bond car. I would. Oh, <laughs> I mean, what are you doing with that, John? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, when, when he's taking so, this too far. <laughs> when he when he's uh when when he's so young, you take what you can get, and you just think this is the start of something. You know, yeah, build yeah. it up, and uh, he's going to love it. But why would a kid like the truck? It's it's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. He's not, and it's broken. Oh, it's broken. <laughs> I see, it's broken as well. Yeah, maybe he can move his next one to move on. Could be. Mine auto from uh, Octopussy. <laughs> Have you got like the half car from A View to a Kill? Oh, uh, just wait there. Make oh, car. With the stunt map. Uh, I've, yeah. uh, I've got the half car. I've got the half car of View to a Kill and I've got the half bus from Live and Let Die. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of half things, aren't there, with Roger Moore's Bond? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah. absolutely gorgeous. Oh. Yeah. The toys you went home to get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For the yeah. purposes of the tape, I was just getting my cars. Um, it's good no, there is my there is my uh, view to a kill uh, taxi. Oh, oh no, my oh, car! Oh, my car! <laughs> and here's my live and let die bus oh. um, with the split off. Oh, that's good. Nice. Oh, how good's that? It's a quality. And Ruben likes the truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does it actually have any veg in it, or is it just pretty basic? Uh, it's it's rubbish, it? I thought it was. It's absolutely rubbish. Just give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> we will be doing an episode on the the best cars of James Bond, and I don't think. No offense, Ruben. I'm not sure this is going to be up there. <laughs> is this going to be filtered out of the podcast? Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll get rid of it. So this is the this is the truck. No, um, it's broke. It's it's broken at the bottom, and it doesn't have the number plate. It says 007. Oh, um, seven. But no need for that. Yeah, oh, oh, 007. But that's that's the best one apparently, according to Ruben. Oh, have a word. Have a word, John. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I apologise. 
But he like, doesn't have this this incredible. help to this minute that it was a miniature anyway. He doesn't have that, does he? Uh, no, no. Yeah, you won't let him have that. <laughs> will you? Yeah. <laughs> In at the climax of this scene, and I think it's used again at the at the end of the. All right, all right. steady on. For, yeah. <laughs> 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 at the, Sorry, at the climax of the the boat scene as well. I said it again just to get some more laughs. Did Did you recognise the music? Oh yeah, it's from uh, yeah. Doctor No. Is it? Nice ties in very nicely. Yeah, the, the music that plays at the end, isn't it? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. So it's Monty Norman, yeah, the best of Monty Norman. The Bond theme and very little else. But sorry, no. Um. Yeah, so I don't know why that was done because John Barry's action music is unbelievably good, isn't it? So I'm not sure why they did that. Whether it was, it was. Well, yeah, I think it's. Yeah, I think it is just to to, to, to tie them to, together, like yeah. with. Yeah. Uh, so it felt like they do. This was, you know, this is the beginning of a real series. Um, but like going going back to like you know, I think I think you know John's right in saying that you know the helicopter bit does feel a bit kind of tacked on. It is, you know, you've kind of finished the um, you know the, the train bit, and it, it feels sort of genuine. It's a great climate, brilliant scene, and everything. But yeah, it would be easy just to sort of you know cut to them back. You know, in is it Venice at the end? They're, they're, I can't remember. It's the final yeah, scene. Yeah. Um, you know, cut straight to that. So yeah, I think yeah, they're yeah, trying yeah. to get their money's worth with that with that with that set piece. And you know, personally, I do I do I do think it's one of the better set pieces. You could argue whether it, it, it is it works. In, you know, within that kind of you know the, the, the film, whether you could, you could you could you know in theory you could lose it, um, but for me you know seeing Bond you know with his hat with the, with the lecture and these you know you know diving around and the, the helicopter kind of you know diving past you know, over his head is is a real kind of for me is a very memorable kind of image when it comes to sort of Bond and particularly kind of early Bond, um, and yeah the boat bit is I have to say it's, it's stretching a bit far and it is you know the fact that they keep just driving through oil um you know um, that bond was that ridiculous <laughs> oh, bless hat them. for bless no reason <laughs> i was just about to say from the gorgeous hat in the helicopter scene the gorgeous outfit yeah he looks an absolute prat doesn't he in this boat scene i've got it <laughs> I, I can't stand hey. that hey. Really like donkey jacket even the well, jacket like... i just yeah it's such a shame it's such a shame it's not quite the dungarees from never say never again but still <laughs> It was the early warning sign, though. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it has to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. yeah I, did you like the, the sort of sped up shove into the water of that guy when he chucks that guy into the water? It's like, mm. like, like, yeah. yeah, it almost looks um, like like there's a special effect in there of some sort. Yeah, like the water's moving at a different rate. But I don't think it is. But yeah, it's, I think it's how it's sped up. Peter yeah. Hunt practicing yeah. for on a Manchester Secret Service, probably. Certainly, is. yeah. It's a bit. I don't know. It's a bit odd. Like I say, apparently, I don't, going back to like Walter Gotell in it, um, <laughs> like we did mention before, he seems to have this amazing English accent at the time, and he's sort of bizarrely providing commentary almost to, to what's going on. Yeah. And <laughs> he's providing instructions to his henchmen or whatever. But it's probably none of it's probably needed, is it? That as much as we like to give Gotel some lines, but oh, I mean, 
it's just a bit it's a bit silly isn't it like you know it, it, james as well he doesn't want it but he doesn't want to kill him because obviously he wants the letter to return to the russians but his whole thing about just stay there a boat's coming to get you it's like why are you being so forgiving yeah. this guy has has annihilated your lineup so far don't you know don't give him a centimeter because Bond will take an inch. And um, I, I think the scene where the fire goes up, it, the special effects are beautiful. Yeah, yeah, they're brilliant. Don't get me wrong; no one's ever disagreeing with that. But they don't half look silly. Those people jumping into the water <laughs> and crashing around, and it, it the it, screams are pretty horrific, though. <laughs> you, like, ah! The actual the close-up shots of the fire, the explosions were, were shot at Pinewood, and apparently the. They, they got out of control and three stuntmen were injured and Walter Gotel yeah, burnt, burnt his eyelids. So it was pretty, pretty yeah. realistic. Hopefully. So are these, are these all the really tough nuts that were training, you know, on Spectre Island who were, yeah, they didn't really, and they were like, <laughs> didn't really come up and with, they were like, yeah, yeah, they do it on a cold rainy night in Scotland on location. <laughs> yeah. not, not really. Yeah. See me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was originally they wanted to film it when they filmed in Venice at the end they wanted to film it around there I think but the the weather ironically was pretty bad so they then when they filmed the bit in Scotland they thought we'll do this here but there's a few there's a couple of you know unfortunate stories I don't know whether you know these on the filming of the the boat chase Terence Young came to the set in a helicopter because obviously it's in the middle of nowhere oh, I yeah. assume. And he he crashed into the water, <laughs> and also on board was art director Michael White and another cameraman, and apparently it sank forty to fifty feet. Yeah, I mean this is unbelievable, oh. isn't it? And yeah. amazingly, all of them escaped with just minor injuries. And not only that, Terence Young got out, dust himself off, and he was like, "Come on!" And he and he finished he finished filming for the entire day. So it's absolutely remarkable. Proper bond guy. Yeah, it's like they? apparently they survived just because there was an air bubble that they were able to breathe through in the yeah. helicopter. Like absolutely That's hanging incredible. on by the skin of the Yeah, because if they'd have gone down in and they'd come out of the somehow on the on the way down, then they'd have been struggling, wouldn't they, for air pressure that deep coming back up to the surface. But yeah. Yeah. The the other crazy story, a few days after this, uh Daniela Bianchi was being driven to the set. And mm. well, it's not set, sorry, to location. Her driver fell asleep. This was at like 6 a.m. So this is pretty, you know, they really long punishing days, weren't they? And crashed the car. And amazingly, oh, Sean Connery's car was behind. So he, he got out of the car and rescued her. <laughs> it's just so, it's so good, all this, isn't it? And that, <laughs> that, well, it's not, but that, that led to her, apparently, her, she got her face bruised by that. So they had to delay production with her for two weeks because they, they needed to heal uh, the scars or whatever, the bruises to her face. It's amazing. It's so fraught. I love, all I these love things how we are. find this out retrospectively. You know, yeah. like this, if this was going on in a film production now, you'd be hearing about it through yeah. like, the sun and through yeah, tabloids would, yeah. and stuff like that. And it'd be used as hype towards the film. And then, you know, the film's a bit disappointing kind of. Whereas here you've got an absolutely classic that on the face of things runs smoothly. And then afterwards you find out these stories and how, like you say, how Terence Young just carried on, you know, returns to filming. It's just 
It's, I love finding out all this stuff out afterwards. It's brilliant. It's the opposite to Waterworld, which, of course, all the hype that they'd, the set had <laughs> drowned and shrunk and, sorry, and floated away and uh, sunk and, what, 100 million was, was written off and everybody was saying what a dreadful rubbish film this, that this was going to be. And then we saw the final version. <laughs> <laughs> what a film, anyway. Um <laughs> I, I recommend the for your reconsideration review of Waterworld, of course, uh, which uh, yeah. rightly gives it its weight, so to speak. You are right, though, Harry. I know what you mean. If this had come out as well, though, at the time, if it was a new Bond film and you heard about all these dreadful accidents and they didn't know what they were doing, they had to reshoot, people would be all, already thinking it was going to be a waste of time. But somehow these films do have unusual production histories, and this one certainly does more than most I've read about. But, uh, yeah, it's all led to the legendary film we have before us today. Exactly. The next scene is, well, it's it's the final, final battle, so to speak, between Rosa Klebb, Bond, and um, Tatiana. You almost, I don't know, does the audience forget that she's still knocking about and it's just a nice scene in the hotel? And then, of course, we do see her in that terrifying maid outfit. I said before, it reminds me of Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. Um, So I always get terrified of this woman. It's a grey wig as well, isn't it? The ginger hair is gone. Yeah, the wig. It's it's all unpleasant. It's awful. I mean, you've had the scene... Don't go on. No, you go, go for it, Harry. You go for it. I just got, like like you've mentioned Cape Fear. There's these similarities with horror films, and you know, I hadn't seen them at exactly the same time as a, a child, and I shouldn't have been watching it as a child. But, you know, don't look <laughs> now and did. stuff like yeah. a couple in a hotel room, and you know, there's this horrible presence of a of a wicked woman. Um, you know, like in Don't Look Now, there's like the psychic that oh, sort of invades their space. Me. There's yeah, there's just this, um, you know, they're, you know, a young romantic couple, and then there's this horrible presence that comes in the room. And I, just, I, I don't know if it's because of the the quality of, you know, films in that period, but it just has those horror tones to yeah, me. Yeah. And it might all just be mashed up in my head from what I've seen. But the, the way they do it is, uh, you know, for what is the final scene the absolute climax of the film um it's you know an unpleasant one for people to be watching all packed in a cinema it's it's horrendous it i i it it's genuinely frightening and it's one of them things that when i was younger if i ever went on holiday and i ever saw a maid come into my room <laughs> That's what first yeah. came to my mind. Yeah, yeah. Frightened the life out yeah. of me. <laughs> um, awful, awful woman, to quote Tatiana at the end. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's, it, I mean, we've, we we had the scene before, so we were reminded of Rosa Klebb regarding, like, because they killed Kronstein, didn't they? And then they said, you know, so they were recovering it. So we knew that she was somewhere in it. But because of the vast scale of the fire on the boat that does seem like a climatic scene that does definitely feel yeah. a big one so you could quite easily have just gone to the room 
and the, uh, them just see them on the balcony and the film could have finished yeah, there. Yeah. And you wouldn't really have those complaints. However, adding this scene is brilliant. Um, and one of the reasons why I think it's absolutely brilliant is, is because you see the it's the conflict in Tatiana, I think, to me, yes. the um, the best bit about it. I mean, we because she was asleep when Red Grant um, was explaining that it wasn't Smirsh, it was Spectre, James may have told her, but we don't actually know that she knows that this is she's been a pawn in this operation for Spectre. We don't she's not mm. we've never experienced her being told. So you can push this thing so much because there's a bit when she has the gun in the hand and she's doing do I kill do I kill Rosa Cleb do I kill James it's like that. You can actually interpret that is is that she's thinking do I save my love or do I betray my country? Absolutely. Because she actually may be thinking that she's still doing this for Mother Russia. Yeah. And ultimately, and ultimately, love wins in in this thing. Now, we don't know that. You know, it may be that she knows fully well, but I do think the conflict in how she moves the gun from side to side makes me think that there is something in that. Because otherwise, she'd just go straight and kill Rose yeah. Cleb from that. Um, and I love that. I love that. It's a lovely little bit to it that I just think adds another dimension to Tatiana. Is in those days, uh, especially the devotion to Russia for people. You, you know, you couldn't betray your country, could you? It, I mean, it would have been no. unthinkable then for someone a Russian to do that. So, yes, if she did know for sure that she, uh, Rosa Kleb was working for Spectre, then fair enough. Why, why was she hesitating? <laughs> um, Precisely. But yeah, I can't. Sorry, I can't believe it. We we forgot. You're right. We forgot to mention that we just had the scene as well where uh, Kronstein's the one that gets killed in Blofeld's yachts because that was played, of course, really tense, and you're expecting Kleb perhaps to be killed. And we've seen a lot of copycat scenes, haven't this? Haven't we, you know, in in future films where you think that someone's going to be the one punished, but no, it's the other one. But again, this was presumably the first time I've seen anything like this. And it's, I, it is a horrible, it's, it's, it's not a nice film. And there aren't many scenes in the Bond films, which genuinely scare me. And these ones with the daggers still scare me a bit, but as a kid, goodness me. I mean, for, a lot of it's to do with the technique as well. Yeah. Think, yeah. The, the technique of the boots and the dragging the foot. And, oh. um, yeah, it's scary. <laughs> and and, and so unpredictable. The, the he, he, he sort of pins her to the wall with the chair, like she has yeah, this wild just, animal kicking and flailing. Yes, yeah. Like like you're almost like putting a glass on a you know, on a I spider just, or something. I can't, yeah. Just like keeping it at arm's length. You could accuse her of overacting here, but not at all. I, don't, I just think it no. works so well. Yeah. She's genuinely yeah. manic and oh. scrambling around yeah. and hate again, hates Bond. Like oh, Grant hated Bond. She absolutely hates Bond as well, I think. You know, I was just going to say, having entered the scene and, and in the, 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 the hotel room in an almost like tippy-toey kind of fashion and kind of picking up the lecture and she's about to tip, tip out, the, you know, on her tiptoes out mm. and then having Bond noticing that. So it starts off with she's just, I think her plan was just to go in there, pick it up and then and, mm. and leg it, kind of in the hope that no one recognised her. For then to then, she, she's just absolutely... <laughs> 
flailing all over the place, <laughs> pinned to the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's what I was going to say. It's horrible to see. Like, it's oh, like, yeah. um, again, it's all my childhood, again, mashing up. Like I've said, sort of don't look now. But then also... <laughs> There's links to like faulty towers where yeah, the two yeah. older sisters who, yeah, who, who live yeah. in faulty, you know, Mrs. Tibbs. And you know when yeah. one of them like, yeah, when one of them faints. Oh like, yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> you know when you see these old, when you see these old women, women yeah. in oh. vulnerable positions, screaming like yeah. a deep groan. It's really uncomfortable, horrible, and um, <laughs> and scary. Yeah, yeah. And it just yeah yeah. It, oh dear yeah. I'm sorry, the, you are right, the psychic in Don't Look Now, goodness me, it's that sort of gingery hair as well. Yeah, that sort yeah. of perms that these women had, oh, it's so scary. But yeah. <laughs> but I, to think that, you know, it's, <laughs> that she's against Bond, that someone of her... She told yeah, you. Her, she told you. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, no, 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 no. She told no, you. please don't. Yeah. Oh, stop but, it. But uh, yeah, uh, the hobbling around, like you say, first of all, is awful. It's almost like the, the dagger in... Mates, you can't you can't walk on it properly, like mm. a club foot almost. <laughs> and he you saying earlier about it being reversed, um, the technique or there's no there that some was, shot that's reversed. That was for the um, when she approaches. Uh, yeah, the but I'm sure it, did you not mention that it comes up again in this scene or something? It, it may well, Harry. Yeah, it may well. Some of it looks kind of it's that unusual editing, isn't it? That's yeah, so frenetic. Yeah, scary. It's horrible. <laughs> I think they almost recreated that kind of horror in um, in in Wrongfully Accused. Is it Wrongfully Accused? No, it's, is it Spy Hard? Where um, I don't know if you've seen the Leslie Nielsen Spy Hard, where the one of the henchmen, his he doesn't have a, a shoe with a poisonous oh. <laughs> knife in the end. He's got he's got a prosthetic leg that he can raise like a rifle. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, <laughs> And he's, he has a, a hush puppy on the end, a hush puppy shoe oh, that has yeah. like a gun that a comes silence. out at the end. <laughs> yeah, and I think, yeah, exactly. He put the hush puppy on as a silencer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More bombs than the most recent. Anyway, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're really, really provoking a reaction here, aren't we? <laughs> The face, though, of, of Rosa Clare, as she's shot, Awful. it's just... I keep doing it. <laughs> and then the... It's almost like ecstasy. It's like, it's like, almost like she's loving it. And, oh, my word. It's just horrible. It's the climax of the film, isn't it, Tom? <laughs> good, uh, good link there, John. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's uh, it's all. Does it? Is it? Is it slightly? Do you, do you like the pun at the end, or is that slightly reducing the tension that she had her kicks? Is it? Oh, that, that, that. It's not one of his bad. I think it's a nice reminder that it's a Bond film after all this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that wasn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that wasn't the climax. That was just a re- relief. <laughs> <laughs> relief, all the same. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, then pretty much done. Yeah, there's another one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. Even though they did go to Venice, they curiously chose about what two seconds of footage of Venice, and then decided mm. to 
put the back shot on it, which perhaps yeah, it looks dated now. But at the time, again, if they were doing it now, that wouldn't happen, and it'd be be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we get the lovely waving of the the film, unusual technique. Mm, I'm not sure about that bit. <laughs> it's uh. <laughs> It, it's, it's a precursor of what's the coming diamonds are forever. It's the campest wave I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't his hand. <laughs> Some stubborn. It's like Alec Guinness's um, uh, Marley in Scrooge. He does that same wave, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> terrifying British films. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really scary film, definitely. Like we've already said that the theme tune is obviously played at the end as opposed to the beginning, which would happen in subsequent plots. Is it playing in the background or like it was on the, the bunting scene? I didn't get that uh, at the end, no. No, it's just, it's just, yeah, the soundtrack. All right, that's fine. Yeah. Just, just checking. That <laughs> uh, Batman Royal song. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. You, get the, you, get, you get the lyrics, don't you, this time? So. Yeah. Yeah. What what do you think of the actual song itself, Chaps? I think it's great. I think it's one of the one of the best. I think when it comes in at the end as well, it's quite powerful in terms of there's a sadness, but it's also like beautifully sung in his voice. And um it's slight you know, it's slight it's all these things together, it's slightly romantic, it's really beautiful, but it's sad. Um, and yeah, I, I, for some reason I felt quite emotional when it came on at the end. I don't know. I don't know quite why. Um, but well, I, you know, I do know why. Uh, you know, it's, of, of all that's gone before it, and then them coming away, and there's this really, really long shot of Venice going yes. on and on and on. It's, it's slowly becoming a distant memory, kind of that that everything that's happened, and you know, the song's going with it, and it's we're fading away, we're fading away, we're fading away, and but not yeah, quite and end. like Chris said. Yeah, like Chris said though as well, you know, we we didn't have the lyrics at the start. Now we're putting words to that tune and it's like, yeah, glorious. It's quite a, like a, what do you call it, a, a plaintive song, isn't it, compared to a lot mm. of the bonfires. It's not as minor key or espionage driven. It's, I mean, it is Lionel Bart who's written it, it's not John Barry, so maybe that's partly why, but it, it's just more like a, a love song, isn't it, really? Not, not as much as All Time High, let's be honest. <laughs> not as <laughs> adult contemporary. Just needed some saxophone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. No. <laughs> oh, James. James. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lovely song. It's a lovely song, and it fits really well at the end, as you said, Harry, with the backdrop. Really doesn't surprise me that, um, what's he called, Buble has covered it. Because oh. Matt Munro... I, I mean, I, I sometimes wonder if Buble has just gone on stars in their eyes and just decided to be Matt Munro in the way he speaks. Yeah. And then someone went, "You can actually sing, mate, but only come out at Christmas." <laughs> but, um, but you know, I, I do think that like it's crazy how Michael Buble sounds so much like Matt Munro in this song. It's, it's a faux Sinatra, isn't it? Really? I mean, it's it's sort well, of yeah, and then comes John yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, this has been discussed. Yeah, hasn't it? yeah, it has. Yeah, it has indeed. It's that way of singing that he's actually English, but he sort of sounds American, doesn't he? Yes. What, guys, can you link M- Matt Monroe with John Barry? There's another link. Does anyone know this? Oh, it's um, blow the bloody doors off. Telling job, isn't it? No. Oh, maybe. 
maybe it was. Oh no, it that's Quincy Jones did yeah. music to, to no. Yes, Quincy Jones he did, yeah. No, it it was um Born Free. Born Free. Oh, yes. Which, uh, which ah. yeah, John Barry won two Oscars. He won Oscar for the song and the soundtrack to the score. Yeah, so Matt Monroe sung that one as well. And this one, th- this theme song, was nominated for a Golden Globe, so it did get some recognition. Although, of course, um, John, like I say, John Barry never got nominated for any of his songs or score for the, the entire series. Criminal. Thomas Newman did for Skyfall. Anyway, we'll move on to the first time. <laughs> Do you, are you are you aware of another version of the of the song? And I know Chris is a big fan, and we'll we'll come on to this. Um, mm-hmm. We'll come on to a special episode of uh, the shaken and stirred James Bond project. But this was their their version of from Rush with Love, and it's um, David Arnold and Natasha Atlas. John's thinking it's not getting going quick enough, I reckon. That's some French accordion. Yeah. <laughs> well, Natasha Atlas, I think she's British Egyptian. She's got that more sort of, well, Arabic feel, isn't it? Um, to this one. Where do I recognise her name from? She she done some, yes, another she, film song. She's um, she's the voice uh, of the the Hulk soundtrack, unusually. Oh, I yeah, know what no. you're thinking of. Right? You're, <laughs> yeah, one. yeah, no, it's uh, Kingdom of Heaven. She sings the, oh, yeah, co- yeah, the yeah. title the title song for that. Yeah. It's got that sort of Arnold tri- trip-hop vibe, hasn't it? The sort of yeah. beat in the background. You're not a fan, John? Um, I like it now it's got a beat to it. Um, she, <laughs> she slowed it down too much. The song's... The song's got a nice 680 kind of rhythm anyway. It swings oh. nicely. And I think that you lose a bit with that when you slow it down. Yeah. Is it one of your favourites? It's kind of on the sense on the shaking the third crystal. I do I do th- again, I think what I like about that album is that each cover version is is interesting and it, not all of them work. You know, not all of them are actually better than the original, but it's an attempt oh. to make them sound new and fresh. I do like this version. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Harry, what do you think? I know, I was going to say, it's, he's, you know, he's approached it quite in a similar way to what he did to All Time High. In some way, doesn't he? Um, but I think whether, a bit like what Chris is saying, whether, whether I like it or not, 
And I think it's what you said, Tom, about all-time high. It makes you really enjoy the original as well, as in you, those themes all come back to you and, you know, it shows how timeless they are when you can put it in these different versions. This is the only um, bit. And it takes you to that place. That actually goes into that minor key, isn't it? And this is this is more in tune with the the John Barry instrumental at the beginning of the film, I suppose. Because it doesn't, the actual Matt Monroe version doesn't end. It just ends on a whimsical note, doesn't it? It doesn't go minor, does it? And it goes, there's like the string arrangement to end it. Sort of ends quite. Mm. None of you can remember it, so obviously it didn't work. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, David Arnold's audition, which was successful to get in the Tomorrow Never Dies gig. If you're enjoying Really 007, why not follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram? Look us up at Really 007 Pod. To summarise, chaps, we'll just run over the box office and the critical reception. So, this uh, film is released in October '63, and again there was a, a lavish Leicester Square premiere. Imagine these three names who were there: Ian Fleming, Sean Connery, and Walter Gotell. Oh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that means the other actors weren't there, or you know, I don't know. But <laughs> good old Walter again. Oh. So it was what a special time. Yeah. <laughs> In those days, of course, it was unusual because it was released in England first and then elsewhere almost a few months later, which would be very unusual now, wouldn't it? Like getting the reaction of a film, seeing all the interviews and working out how much money it made. And then American, the Americans had to wait six months, April, before yeah. to watch it. Uh, They'd already started doing gold, filming gold yeah, yeah. by the time America wow. had. Like, no Time to Die, six months is like you know, a blot on the landscape, isn't it? It's like over in, <laughs> over in a, a heartbeat, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Will that be ever released? We'll find out. But, uh, yeah, so in terms of the box office, it was box office, it was even more popular than Dr. No. Uh, initially, it earned uh, $12.5 million. After the reissue, which I'm not, I don't know whether that means, including the American audiences, it was... 78 million worldwide and remember this only cost 2 million to make so it's pretty pretty impressive profit on that adjusted for inflation today that will be 836 million dollars so yeah we go on about obviously skyfall is the only billion dollar one but that's that's getting there and of course ticket prices were far cheaper then so yeah i think if you if you judged on present inflation, it's the sixth biggest Bond film, and Great. in between you only live twice and Casino Royale, not the David oh. version. Yeah, so obviously a massive success, and that Bond was here now to stay, like we said, and Goldfinger and Thunderball were even bigger and bigger, and it was just riding the crest of a wave. So critically. It's yeah, as you'd imagine, it's one of the best rated Bond films. It's got ninety-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, eighty-four on Metacritic. On IMDB, it's it's seven point four, which is good, but it's only it's only the fourth highest Bond film on on IMDB. Now, Are all the others want... uh, Daniel Craig ones? <laughs> yeah. 
Just let me ask the question, John. I was. I apologise, Thomas. I apologise. Too giddy. <laughs> no, we love Daniel. Craig. This is interesting. Yeah. So the the three the three ones which are higher on IMDb. Yes, there are two Craig, not Bonds, and there is one other one. <laughs> so which which of those do you think there are? Well, it's fairly obvious now, having said that, isn't it? If it's two Craig ones. Oh, which two are the which two yeah. Craig is he yeah. asking? Yeah, two Craig films finished above it on IMDb and, and another non-Craig one. Casino Royale and Sky. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be... Layer cake. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed with that when I saw that. Anyway, um, so, yeah, and what was the other the other film which is above it? You'd guess Goldfinger. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Well, that wasn't much fun. Anyway... the the actual reviews at the time uh, the guardian said that um this is a bit bit harsh again it didn't seem quite so lively quite so fresh or quite so rhythmically fast moving i don't know what film they were seeing the the film is highly immoral in every imaginable way (laughs) it is neither uplifting instructive nor life enhancing neither is it great filmmaking but it sure is fun. <laughs> what a mess of a review. Quite- I think it might be the exact opposite in every way. Yeah. <laughs> it's everything brilliant, but it's not fun. So- <laughs> it's not fun, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not just fun at all. Dear me. Yeah, well, I'm sure we don't agree with that. But I think, I think that does show you how attitudes and opinions of film can evolve and change. It's like we all said at the start how it's not one we would go to as children, but over time it ages amazingly mm. and you appreciate it when you return yeah. to it. And I, I just wonder if people received it like children back then, yeah. <laughs> not as adults. In many series as well, ones that are now seen as the absolute classics when came out were giving reasonably lukewarm reception. Mm, yeah. mm. um, and it's like the retrospective view that people see it for what it is. Um, Empire Strikes Back is the perfect example of that. It got very, very lukewarm reviews compared to Star Wars Luke when it comes out. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Um, and now it's seen as the absolute pinnacle of Star Wars. Obviously, Return of the Sometimes. Jedi is the best one, but that's we're, we're not here to... We're not here to <laughs> <laughs> but that's it, isn't it? It sometimes takes people time to chew over things. We all have that immediate reaction when we see something. But it's when you watch it a few times, does it live up or do you start seeing the flaws of things? Is it perhaps they were judging it based on other Hitchcock thing sort of films? Because I've, I've seen, actually, I saw Marnie recently and obviously I've seen, I saw Vertigo fairly recently as well and they're so stylistic and technically superb. Yeah. I think this film is as well, but were they sort of thinking it was more like that? Because you can't think at the moment. Comparing it. Yeah, because at the moment we haven't had the whole Bond series to look back on. This is like thinking there's a new spy thriller. We've had we've had films like Vertigo, which are so stylistic and iconic. It was I don't know, maybe that this this is only one review. Remember, uh, the others were pretty favourable, but maybe it was judging it on those standards. Well, it it beat box office wise. It was ahead of The Great Escape that year and The oh. Birds. Wow! Oh, very good, Harry. Two two so. decent films. <laughs> maybe, 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 and you know, maybe not head to head. You know, going head to head with Hitchcock, but maybe there was that in cinema at the time. You know, I was thinking, well, it's trying, it's 
what what is this? What genre are we going into here? That birds is another one. Is that is that a PG? I can't, I can't Harrowing film. Terrifying film. Mm. Yeah, dear me. Yeah. Um, Harrowing film. Yeah. The other the other reviews are, are much more much more positive. So Time Magazine, The Observer, The New York Times. The, the, most of these have got the Times in them. So the, the actual Times uh, said the secret. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the nonsense is all very amiable and tongue-in-cheek and will no doubt make a fortune for its devisers. So that was pretty much Bob on. Um, <laughs> later reviews have been even more positive, like you say, John. Total Film in 2004 named it the, the ninth best British film of all time. And it's the only, wow. it was the only Bond film in the list. So it is... What year, sorry? 2004, yeah. Oh, so yeah, pre-created. Um so it is, it is generally regarded as probably <laughs> still, out, yeah. probably is still generally regarded. I'd say in in conversations with film critics and non Bond obsessives as the best one. Perhaps is it? Do you think? Yeah, I would say that's a fair assessment. I mean, people Often. will always say golfing is the favourite, but it sounds a bit cooler, doesn't it, to say from Rush with Love is actually the best one? But yeah, I'm not disagreeing. With <laughs> Chewing you. on it, aren't we? Yeah, chewing um, it over. I think I said the quote earlier, Michael G. Wilson, where he said in 2008, we always start out trying to make another from Rush With Love and end up with another Thunderball. Now, like I say, that can only be attributed to the production. But then we've just gone through the production of this and it was pretty difficult. So I do, will not get into debate with you, Dennis. I really won't. <laughs> <laughs> Wilson, Brock, Barbara Broccoli, Sean Connery, Timothy Dalton, Daniel Craig, they've all gone on record to say it's their favourite Bond film. Albert Broccoli had it in his top three. <laughs> Imagine this, like, was it a yeah. pub chat? You know, did he actually go on record? Sounds <laughs> class. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Albert, what do you reckon? Yeah, I've not seen them for a while. Can't be trying to uh, think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, the, his other two, his other two were quite babyish as well. Goldfinger and The Spy Who Loved Me. He did say... Me that's good. Yeah. 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 Saved the franchise, didn't it? Arguably, yeah, mm. yeah. Commercially, it did at the time. Yeah, I agree. Yes, it's a very he, safe choice for those actors, like you say, for Craig and Dalton. You know, it's such to say my favourites from exactly. No, yeah. it's it's. I'm not saying it's a wrong opinion. I'm just saying it's it's. You can't argue with that, really. You can't you can't argue with from Russia Love in many. Yeah, ways. no, no one now. Even if uh, say whoever takes over from Daniel Craig, they wouldn't be like. Yeah, growing up, you know, I loved uh, I loved Octopussy and, uh, yeah, and A View to a Kill. And I, I just wanted to get back to those. That counts us out. We're not going to be cast then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'd be absolutely screaming, wouldn't we? And, yeah. <laughs> I do think it's a genuinely great film. And, you know, outside of a Bond film, I think it's really, I think it's great. But it is a bit like saying that the best of the Beatles is your favourite Beatles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got a head yeah. in another party draft. You'd have to go with the best. <laughs> really, yeah. 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 But again, we do like the film. We're not denigrating that in any way. Yeah. So Cubby Broccoli said it was. It was with this film that the Bond style and formula were perfected. And you probably couldn't disagree with that too much. I know people say Goldfinger is the one that wow is an identical Bond. Mm-hmm. But I saw a lot more. Well, they did go beyond, didn't they? Bond and beyond. Yeah. They had the success of From Russia Love, but then they did keep pushing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You say they re- they said they reached the formula, but then they they wanted to keep pushing it. 
Well, this is the point that I come back to is that this, this is, I think, particularly for, for you know, Bar- uh, Barbara Broccoli and, and Wilson, is restraint. Is that they set off with let's let's make from Russia with love, and they can't. They just they have no restraint and control. They have to like like you say, dying of the day. It starts off with oh, this is you know fairly some great stuff in this for a Pierce Brosnan film. Suddenly it's like no invisible <laughs> car, no this, no this, and it's kind of like, hang on a minute. Mm-hmm. If we just stuck with what we had at that first half, you know, <clears throat> it would this would be a, a decent solid you know Bond film. But they just can't help themselves. No, they can't. And I think that maybe that's what he's referencing to is that that you you, you can't have a low key solid thriller it can't just be this thing it has to be everything yeah well now i'm not giving away my opinion on casino royale here because i don't fully know my opinion on it but their i think their mindset was to go down that whole less is more idea you know strip it back but i think they stripped back the wrong parts if you know what i mean they Mm -hmm. they thought stripping back the gadgets in some ways and stripping back characters was the way to make it less but actually it was it was it needed to go back to what john said where the film knows its identity and it, it goes with that and it doesn't have to lead to a massive climax in a huge layer baddies layer or anything like that um it that's what it needed to be and i'm sure they'll get to the point soon where they'll need to reinvent bond again and i think it will be a case of less will be more but they'll have to there'll be it'll be different things that they need to cut back on i think yeah I think they go down the they go down. It's like a red herring. This whole thing that they say about we need to go back to the roots or we need to go serious and all that because we see from a film like from Russia with Love, it's a serious film, but it still uses gadgets. It still has the mm. quirky comments, but it does it in the right context. And Bond needs to stop being so reactive to what's going on around it. It's always reacting to it. You've got to realise, they, they've got to realise that things like James, Jason Bourne, they were inspired by James Bond. Not yeah. James Bond inspired by Jason yeah. Bourne. You're the original. So yeah. go back to what you do best. Go back to who great you are. Don't don't try and, and copy something else. Just because Mission Impossible's like done an Avengers Assemble doesn't mean you have to do that, Inspector. Just because Jason Bourne had a shaky cam doesn't mean you have to do it in <laughs> Quantum of Solace. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just because... So I'm ranting on, but just because... No, yeah, and just because Crispin, Bruce Wayne was really muscular... Precisely. Batman, yeah, yeah. Doesn't mean that, you know, a guy who's trying to sneak around in yeah. a tuxedo should be bursting out of shit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just Trust because... Your own franchise. You know, just Joe- because the Joker, you know, just because the Joker decides to kill so many people if they don't yeah, get the chaotic. justice and be chaotic, doesn't mean that Raoul Silver has to go down that route. And I like Raoul Silver. It's not a criticism of the character, but what the point is, is, is that know who you are. Know who you are because you hold the trump card because people love Bond. And they've gone away from it. But this film is brilliant at just... Connery being Bond. And you want to be Bond. If you watch this as a kid, you'd be like, I love this guy. But how how impressive is he? I know he gets a bit of help from Karen Bay and all that. But he uses his wits. He's smooth. He's he's doing his job for a start. He doesn't hate his job. We keep going back to that. Um, Rob will attack very much. He's got gadgets that are based in reality. It's not far fetched to have a sniper rifle that 
folds down yeah. or, or a briefcase that has you know something with it. It's not well, you know, an invisible car, but you know. well, yeah. Well, I don't. <laughs> I, I yeah. And he doesn't hate gadgets like this new Q does, and thinks it's a terrible, terrible, horrible, stupid idea. <laughs> I mean, that was too, we'll we'll discuss that scene in, in a lot of detail in Skyfall review, which which will uh, will be very soon amongst us. But that's almost like a, t- a scene talking to the audience who were thinking that you know dying of the day was went too far. Oh, look at this then, you know, it's just a box. And it, okay, it, it's well written in that sense, you could argue, but that doesn't mean in From Russia With Love it was just a basic gun. And Yeah, it, like it, I say, they've stripped back in the wrong areas. Well, they did yeah. strip back, they're, they're scrambling it back now. But it's true. People didn't think, oh, I hated those Desmond Llewellyn Q scenes. Oh, they were awful, weren't they? It's just throwing the baby out with the bathwater approach. And they, yeah, they can't hold the nerve, like you say, John. They, you go out to make a, a proper thriller with James Bond as someone who who you're getting alongside, and you're going along the journey with him. But don't either go too far, like it doesn't die another day. Clearly, went way too far one way, or Spectre, where as you said, it's just a complete mess, and you just don't know which direction it's going in one from one minute to the next, mm. uh, sleazy or or, or serious or. Or stupid. Yeah. I mean, it has to be. It has to be quickly said about this film. One of the reasons why it does do that is because it very much follows up until the final scene, the Ian Fleming story, and we have to realise that his shadow know, was there. The, he wasn't certain. Absolutely. And some of the best films are the ones that follow the Fleming story the closest. Um, and they don't have that privilege now, but still. There's many great writers who are writing great Bond novels that you can get who understand the character and you can get these people involved uh, to adapt screenplays. There are many massive Bond fans who can help out but have original ideas and are not just nodding docs to the exec producers. And that's the issue at the moment. They are just like... They're just yes men. The yes men to every idea, and that's to me the big Apart problem. From Danny Boyles. And when you're not a yes man, that happens. Yeah, the nodding to what they think the audience wants at that any given moment, rather than what has what have audiences loved over the years as James Bond films. Absolutely, because I I don't think people you know will say, oh well, James Bond as as Trump Bond, doesn't it? Oh, it's way better. I don't think the popular culture can remember an awful lot of the Bourne trilogy. I don't. I don't think they could say, "Oh yeah, remember that," you know, and all the yeah, Apart from the odd stuff, yeah, I think I agree. I've, yeah. Okay, I've not really invested an awful lot of time in them, and I'm sure they're very good films. But there's no, you know, Roger Moore jumping off his skis into midair with the parachute with the Union Jack, is there? You know, there's no, there's nothing of that iconic. James Bond feel, and I'm not. I know that's a million miles away in one sense from from Rush with Love, but you can do that without it being stupid. <laughs> I'm, I'm making bold assumptions that you do like these these classic uh, James Bond scenes, lads. I'm, I'm hoping you do. No, no, I, I, I was going to say I completely agree with you because you know those. No matter what you say about these films, I always go back to like Moonraker. Is that it's often derailed as this sort of like mm-hmm. it's always a mess. It's just a joke of a film. You know, silly jumpsuits. There is in space. How ridiculous can you get? 
But there, there are scenes that are brilliantly constructed, set pieces, you know, the production values, the, 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 you know, some of the sets are breathtaking. Absolutely. You know, and it is, there's always something to be, and it's even, even, at its worst during this sort of period it was oh it was always memorable and it was always kind of fun and you know like i say it may not come out and be just like oh this is the best bond i've ever seen but you know what it was a bond film and it was it it, it was what it was but you knew there was something you knew that there was, you were going to come out and go oh that bit where he got thrown out of a plane without a parachute how amazing was that kind of you know oh. <laughs> nowadays so in, in recent in recent films because because it is kind of grounded and it is like you know like for quantum of solace you know they got the the stunt quarter you know the second unit direct from the you know Bourne films and it just looks like a Bourne film it's like I don't want to go and watch a, a Bond film that's pretending to be Bourne I want Bond and up to this point Bond was always the pioneer mm. you know it was always the sort of stunts that never done that before it never you know it was practical and then in, in the past sort of few years you've seen kind of the Mission Impossible franchise replace that as they've basically stolen what Bond was doing during, during the 70s and 80s which is let's come up with some crazy set piece and then build a story around that as opposed to shoehorning what we can in and then going oh you know what's really popular at the moment uh computers and uh surveillance and <laughs> let's have someone ha- hacking is that, is that popular or is that like you know what your dad thinks is popular but you know kind of, and there is it has it has a whiff of the the, the past it and the, the clambering to be hip and cool, but they just ab- every time miss it because Bond should be timeless. You go back and w- watch, like, you know, Living Daylights, even though it is part, it is very much of its time, as in mm-hmm. it's part of the end of the Cold War, it is timeless filmmaking, you know, and particularly the early ones of, like, the, the, the Sean Connerys, they feel even more timeless because the, the, the filmmaking technique was a much, such an influence on filmmaking to this day in terms of the techniques of editing and direction and all that that it feels still feels fresh and you know the only thing that sort of ages you know during the 70s is when the fashion got ridiculous and there's you know bell bottoms and flirts if you if you strip that out it's still a really modern great piece of filmmaking and now I feel that, that, that that's where the the, the the missing they're trying to be very much let's please everyone now as opposed to Let's just make a really good film, mm. and it just happens to be a Bond film. Well, Moonraker was an, one of the biggest. It might be with inflation. I don't know if it's the biggest, but it was yeah. certainly in the top few box office. It was the biggest Bond film at the time, and people did love it. So, the, I mean, the reaction to that, obviously, to go to Fury's Only was more of a critical, almost not, not oh, well, we won't necessarily keep on this vein that the public thinks we're doing. We'll, we'll go back to a bit more gritty because we think that's what we need to do. Whereas now they might think commercially, what's the best thing to do? Let's have a look at this. I don't want to. I don't want to like contradict what you're saying, but I I'm not the biggest for your eyes only fan. I have this implied, John. I've been worried. It's been the ghost in the room for, I, for a lot of. I don't. I don't hate. <laughs> I don't want to mention the. I, I don't hate it or anything like that. But I do think that that reactive nature is in the film. Yeah, and 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 scene. well, well, that's the point that I'm getting at, though, is that it wants to go serious, and I'd say seventy five percent of it is serious, but it doesn't go whole hog, 
And I think for me that that is why I don't always watch it and go, oh, it is as gritty and as serious as I think it is. There's scenes like the lock stuff that's sensational. But then you've got a, a Blofeld in a wheelchair being dropped down a chimney. And a swooping helicopter, John, your least favourite thing in the Well, there's that too. <laughs> the only reason... <laughs> the only reason why uh, they managed to find where Christatos is is because a parrot says St. Cyril's. <laughs> and you know, I'm being serious, but this is supposed to be the gritty Bond film. And then, um, what's the other thing I have? And then you have that appalling Margaret Thatcher scene at the end. <laughs> so, so whilst everybody goes on all the time about For Your Eyes Only is really gritty, I think there are brilliant, gritty elements. And if it went whole hog down that route, then it would be so, so good. But I think one of the problems I have with it is because it tries to please everyone. So whilst it does pull it back, it doesn't go whole hog with that. And then you get some silly things in it, which if they were in Moonraker, I'd be like, yeah, let's go with this. But it clashes. And that's my thing again, is is that when Bond reacts to what people say, it's at its weakest. But the it's like it's like musicians. It's like yeah. you know, you've got musicians who they've set so many trends, and then all of a sudden they you know, you've got other artists emulating them and then suddenly all this, there's a reversal where yes. the old artist has to stay current. As they get older, they've got to stay current so they mm. They replicate what the younger people are doing, Madonna. and the their fan base splits. Yeah, Madonna. Yeah, well, yeah, well, and many others, and the fan base splits. And you've got people who'll always go back to the originals, and then people who are hanging on. And it, it just it gets that point where all of a sudden it's not the pioneer that, like Chris said, you know, the Bond is the pioneer, but it's got itself into a a, um, a bit of a rut where it doesn't see itself anymore as the pioneer and looks elsewhere for inspiration. Anyway, uh, the game from Russia with Love. <laughs> we we have mentioned it a bit, but of course, this was released. Well, it's actually fifteen years old. Can you believe that? Two thousand five. That's crazy, isn't it? Wow. it was, I mean, I got so excited when I saw that this was coming out. Not only just for the fact that you get to do a game of from Russia with Love, but I thought, oh, brilliant! Does that mean we're going to get a, a game based on every film? Uh. Wow. Honestly, I couldn't. Yeah. I was just getting. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. Anyway, we yeah. only got one, but the, so this was released in 2005. It was on the Xbox, PlayStation, and the GameCube. Remember that one? I forgot about that. <laughs> and mm. I, Sean Connery. Okay, he retired in from acting in 2003. Yeah. No, I won't come out of uh, retirement for you know Steven Spielberg and George Lucas for Indiana Jones. I'm coming on board to voice Bond as, a, as an eight-year-old man. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> Turned down Gandalf as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. 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 But the problem yeah. being, he's, he's he last appearance sound 80. <laughs> yeah. He clearly sounds like he's, young, <laughs> and he's supposed yeah, to be. He's able to sort of make him sound a bit younger. This is more like, sounds a bit older. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but... The, we did discuss it before, but my word, they got the right technique in the game for him to use the Walther, sort of oh, not extending yeah, the arms. The hip. Yeah. Well, here is uh, executive producer Glenn Schofield and uh, Sean Connery himself talking about the game.
I think the idea of returning to the original 1960s Bond series was something that the team had talked about for a long time, the fans talked about, that we kept hearing people wanting to see. But it really came together this year when we were able to contact and talk to Sean Connery, and he agreed to be a part of it. I mean, once you get him on board and he's helping you out, I mean, that's the start of a great game. I'm absolutely thrilled to be playing James Bond again. May I help you? A dry martini. Shaken, not stout. Having Connery in the game has affected the game's design in the fighting style. He was more of a brawler. You know, he grabbed the characters and threw them to the ground. It'll be interesting to go back to the physicality of one-on-one. -on -one. We've also used the way that he held the gun and, of course, what he wore. Which subconsciously tells you so much about a movie whenever you see it. In the game, we spent a lot of time making sure the characters came to life. Of course, it goes without saying that special attention was paid to getting Sean Connery just right. It's one of the best-looking digital characters you're going to find in a video game today. The eye's good. The mouth is good. In fact, this looks better than the original. Oh, I'm madly in love with him. There's a real excitement to going back to the roots of James Bond, going back to the early 60s. We're doing something that people thought they would never see, bringing back the original James Bond, Sean Connery. He hasn't been in a video game before. This is my debut. And it's the first time in years that he's played James Bond again. I don't think it's dated at all. To go back to the 60s, this will be something almost like starting all over again. This actually, of course, followed the storyline of the book and the film, added in a few new action scenes, and changed the affiliation of the main villains. At this point, uh, the rights issue was still still gone with Spectre in terms of Kevin McClory. Um, so they couldn't really use that. So they, they, cha they actually changed it to Octopus. Yeah. You know, it's, it's quite cute, that, isn't it, to be fair? I didn't realise that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, Two S's or one? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Octopus. Oh, Octopus. Octopus. <laughs> Octopus. <laughs> Octopus. Yeah, Octopus. <laughs> so, um, it was set in the 60s underrated, wasn't it? It was still set. I suppose the story wouldn't have worked, would it? But they had, yeah, it had the Aston Martin DB5 and the, and the jetpack from Thunderball, even though they, they weren't introduced by then. Um, and, so, yeah. And written, written by Bruce Firsty, who did yes, Gold, Golden Eye and. It's just it's astonishing that, that world is not enough and stuff. Because obviously, world enough, world not enough. Again, he he he. Even though not to, to um, put some money in the swear box, but um, Purvis and um, and Wade coming on after him doing the obviously the original draft of the world is not enough, um, which is a shame because you look at what, you know what he did with obviously Goldeneye. I think he's actually one of the definitely one of the better later writers of that. Oh yeah, film. but interesting that he he was involved in a video game and a few as well. I think. Yeah, he did. He. I think he yeah, well, it's not enough to add its own game as well. It certainly mm -hmm. did. He did a uh, GoldenEye Double Seven. Yeah, the last game. He he did. Yeah, he did everything or nothing. Bloodstone and Double Seven Legends, yeah. where we of course did get a few more of the other Give films. Ugh. <laughs> everything about everything about that game should have been brilliant. <laughs> well, yeah. Which one? 007 Legends. Such a disappointment. Yeah. 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure we went there. We did no, get I it. For some reason, we didn't bother trying to get far in it. So to see Lashes to kill and I know. Just amazing. <laughs> I can't believe it. Wow. Had Franz Sanchez. The big problem was that you were always Daniel Craig. So like you were Daniel. <laughs> yeah, Craig. You, were, yeah. you were Daniel Craig. Craig in License to Kill. So I don't want to be Daniel yeah. Craig in License to Kill. That's so depressing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and what was the one? If you do a mini episode on bomb games, was it was the one of the games that have um, Willem Dafoe as a yes, a, yeah, everything on yeah. yeah. So does that make him canon? Canon kind of like is that mean yeah. he's so actually he a bomb villain? Yeah, I don't know. Didn't they get? He didn't they get Natasha Bedingfield to write and sing a song for it as well? Yeah, oh. Maya sung it. Oh, did she? Well, no. The, on, for the From Us With Love Is that right? Game, from, from this game, the From Us With Love game, they had a different pre-title sequence. Uh, the Prime Minister's daughter called Elizabeth Stark was kidnapped by Octopus while attending a party. She was voiced by Natasha Bedingfield. Ah, uh, okay. That's where I can... Uh. But she didn't do... I don't think she did the, the song for this. No. Who was who did it? Did you say it was um Maya. Maya, Maya, Maya. did everything yeah. missing. Correct. Yeah. Um Yeah. But it, it's it it's pretty much the same thing. I think what it ends with is like a big sort of assault on the octopus headquarters. A bit like a Spectre Layer, just to give us that big action set piece. And apparently uh, Grant is killed by being fakely shot by Bond, so I don't know whether that I can't remember. Did they have the they just had a fight on the train, or I don't, can't remember to be honest. Now I can't remember. I'm yeah, now thinking yeah, of the yeah. Goldeneye train game. Yeah, train level. Yeah. Sorry, where you had to yeah. lay yeah. the lock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so dear me, beautiful. Don't, don't. <laughs> but the good thing about this game, I'm sure would love at how it was um, third person. Is that what you call it? Where it's outside of Bond, so you can see him. Yeah. Like Chris was saying earlier, Connery's movements it had to a T. You know, sort of slinking across the room yeah. beautifully. Um, and with that technique, with the gun from here, but I suppose they couldn't do it first person when his gun was so low because it'd just be like a view of his crotch. Wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> that's where his gun is. <laughs> He'd be walking around the mission with a, such a low view, like looking up at all the all the baddies <laughs> if you were following the gun. Yeah. Going back to the film, uh, we've discussed it in massive detail, of course. Do you? I hate asking this question, but where where would you rate it in the series? I know it's an impossible question. I'll, I'll allow any kind of modicum of an answer. Um, I can't definitely can't give you an answer, but it still goes back to kind of how I felt as a child, where I I know it's a classic. I know it's brilliant i know i love it and there's so much brilliance about it i don't know whether i'd say that it's my favorite mm-hmm. because and that's partly because i grew up not watch not watching those ones so much so there are other ones that have become my favorites because you know i've seen them over and over again and the more spectacular in in so many ways and stuff so although although it's technically in, absolutely incredible it's um, it's not necessarily my favourite, which you know, I feel like you know Bond fans would sort of laugh at me for saying that kind of. But it, uh, that's my honest opinion. Is that because it retrospectively, because you watched it in conjunction with the others, it doesn't feel as 
I don't know, growing up a classic, almost humour-filled Bond film with all the spectacular stunts and gadgets and things. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Because I I think, as children, the Roger Moore ones were the ones that we would go to repeatedly. And then um, Brosnan, you know, the the Brosnan films are coming out. So those were the main ones, um, which was, you know, a great era. And the Connery ones, I think... I mean, Tom, you you were you know you were there with me, putting them on video, putting them in. I think that Goldfinger and You Only Live Twice would be the ones that we'd watch most from Connery's. Yeah, I, I think say. so. Yeah, Goldfinger. possibly Thunderball. But- Thunderball came into it later. Maybe we didn't have it on video. Ne- looking back at it now, I don't know why, because Thunderballs does seem quite you know there's a heck of a lot of action and spectacle. I think it was maybe the underwater scenes that just dragged a bit for us as kids, maybe. Uh, that was possibly it. But yeah, I think You Only Live Twice is the most accessible Connery as a kid film. Uh, Diamonds, we won't talk about, Harry. I don't want to haunt you with um, the campness and the, the, the horror of uh, Diamonds Are Forever. And what Diamonds Are Forever? Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> Easy. Um, there's a lot to love in that film. We, I'm, I'm not going to go out there and say that it's a, it's a bad film. But anyway, yeah, so Chris, for you, in the great canon of Bond films, do you think it's pretty high up? I assume for you. Oh yeah, definitely. I think um, I think yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I completely agree with what Harry's saying about that. You know, when it, obviously depending on your age, I think you do. You are ultimately sort of you know kind of drawn to either the Bond that was about when you were you at that you know it's your Bond or the the more fun kind of seventies you know eighties lighter stuff. You know, I am drawn to to the the original ones, uh, to the first the first kind of maybe three or four Conneries, just simply because I find them to be the, the filmmaking to be kind of excellent. That the, the feel like they're more than just the Bond films, even though they're setting up kind of everything that that that, that, that precedes it. But yeah, from which we love is uh, you know it's, it's I think it's, it's a fantastic film. Um, again, I think that's the, what I love about the Bond films is that, is that you could, Sunday afternoon I can say yeah it's fantastic, one of my favourites. But I might put on Spy Love Me instead because <laughs> that's the one that I want to watch and the one that I feel that actually that's that's the, the fun one that I want to to engage with or you know uh, or you know like Goldeneye because that that was you know, one of the Bond, first Bonds that I sort of, you know, was really aware of Bond and was excited to see it getting released. And, and you know, it was like, it was a big event for, for, for me. Um, but yeah, I think it's undeniable that it's a great film. Maybe not the one that you're always drawn to, but it doesn't take it away from, you know, how, how great it is. And let's say that the, the Bond films have this, there's something for every mood and mm. at every, almost every occasion, you know, to the, the, you pick and choose which ones there's, that you feel is, is sort of most appropriate, but yeah, definitely in the high end, top ten, easily. In oh, yeah, yeah. If you're rating it on terms of how good of a film it is, it has to rate pretty high. Mm-hmm. But if you're sent using your sentimental reasons, how much of a cozy Bond film is it? That, that might be slightly different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, a desert to. island. You know, you pick one. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it'd be from Russia. No, doesn't have to be the best one. It's the one that you, that you love right, yeah. for whatever reason. Return of the Jedi. Um, John, <laughs> um, I think I think very similar thoughts. Objectively, I think it's in the three best. 
uh, I think it's the th- the three best Bond films, one of the three best uh, in terms of how it's been created, in terms of the script, the mystery. I think there's a lot that is fantastic about it. Subjectively, it comes in at number seven on my list. Oh, Whoa, you well, have a list. I, I do. I do have a list. Pardon. Octopussy came in at number eleven. I think. Ooh. Let me just. Right. Yes. Just, just hang on, John. Just stop. Just hang on. right. When, when was this list? <laughs> when was this latest list compiled? <laughs> yeah. So this list has been my list for about a couple of years. However, obviously, as I will go, as I will go through them, um, yeah, it could change because I get a, a better perspective. This one, I've kept the same as where it previously was. It's been number seven for quite a long time. 07. Uh, 07, 07, yeah. 07. And, and I, look, I look at some of the ones that are above it, and there's quite a few that I can say, hey, <laughs> there's no way that they are better-made films. There's no way I can say that. But it's that whole thing of... The three, for me, the three best made films in the series, and I'm not going to say what they are, but they. Um, <laughs> what a tease. What a tease. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> you have to invest in them. They require you to sit down to concentrate and to invest. And I, I wouldn't necessarily say that you come out of it exhilarated or thinking it's fun you come out exhausted because you have to invest in it. And this is very much one of them films. So this is not a film that I would ever put on a Sunday evening. However, if I'm, I've come to this looking at this from a critical perspective and I'm watching it, I'm like, this is flawless. This is for a Bond film. This is absolutely flawless. Apart from my criticisms of the helicopter scene, it's just to, just to hold that one back. Um, I think I think it's. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at one of them that I've put above from Russia with Love, oh, and I'm like, how am I ever going to justify that? You know, <laughs> but I have well, to just go with what my my thoughts are. I think it's Connery's best performance. I think I said before that Red Grant is my favourite henchman, and I stand by that. Uh, I love that. I think it's Terence Young's best directed film i'd probably say out of the three that he did i'm not saying the the best but in terms of his direction the best there's a lot to like about this film it feels like doctor no on a grander scale that's the best way to describe this film it seems like the gypsy scene and that kind of stuff that's suking bond up to a new level of uh of scale basically john barry coming in lifts it higher but yet there's still that spy thriller mystery thing going on in it i love it but as i said objectively top three subjectively number seven my word did, so did do you I... have two lists john objectively and professionally your favorites and i i haven't got i haven't got a set one to 24 of um objective are there 24 in it oh yeah there's 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 never been a um never say never again is never included in this list <laughs> um lower than Spectre on the list <laughs> Spectre's a funny one when 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 i first watched Spectre, i'd have had Spectre in my top 10 genuinely <laughs> like genuinely when i watched it at the cinema i was absolutely exhilarated and I've probably watched it five times since. 
It's relegation zone. <laughs> it's it's the strongest Bond film because it's propping up the whole table. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in administration. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I but I, I no, I don't have an objective table. But there's three films I think that when I watch, I go, "Wow, they are significant in how they've been made." Um, two of them. I don't think any of you would disagree with me. Yeah. What one of them? I think that we're going to have a rather large debate over. Uh, I think well, I can get. That's what's great about this process. That yeah, like Octopussy, you'd you know it's a Roger Moore one. You you'd be slightly reluctant to possibly you know put it in your top two or three, but by doing this podcast and actually looking at it critically. You might find that some of those we just attribute to being, oh, you know, it's just a nostalgic childhood thing. Actually, there's going to be way more to those ones than we think, and they are, True. you know, worth worth a lot. Yeah, none more so than Octopus Scene of You to a Kill for me. I was watching a YouTuber um, today who him and his mate were ranking the Roger Moore films, and uh, they both had Octopus at number seven, and and their what? basic. And their basic reason, and you could tell they hadn't watched them. You could tell that it was just them going off their memory, yeah, yeah. and it was just like, mm. oh, it's Roger Moore in a clown clickbait. suit. It's clickbait yeah. stuff, and and you think that's just so unfair. Because when we went back and we watched that film, every scene we were basically going, oh, this is amazing. Oh, this is brilliant. You know, it, it was yeah. such an unappreciated film. It was great. Yeah, I'm sorry you missed out on episode, Harry, uh, on Octopussy, but like I said... No, I got to listen to it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I've always I've always rated that very highly growing up, Octopussy, certainly. From Russia We Love, I think, growing up, perhaps it wasn't... For a kid, it's perhaps not as interesting, so it, it it's almost handicapped in your, in your mind, isn't it, by that? It's already onto a loser as a kid, but as you get older... And you appreciate the filmmaking techniques. I'd like to say I know a little bit about filmmaking and sort of what directorial flourishes in editing and and things like that grow, go into making a movie. So on that level, like you say, it's very high up. But perhaps on a you know a James Bond in the series, I, despite me thinking it's brilliant, it's probably it's lower mid table. Wow. That doesn't that doesn't mean I think it's one of the Below, it doesn't mean I think it's a below average Bond film. I just think my sentimentality in my personality is just way, it weighs far more than the average person, I reckon. So, I, you know, ultimately for me would be very near the top, partly based on the sentimental stuff. But I don't know, perhaps that's just the kind of thing I like to see in a Bond film more, including every bit of silliness that people say that there is in it. That do, that doesn't mean, of course, that I think from Rush with Love would be improved if it had a bit more, I don't know, like a massive layer at the end and hundreds of baddies or another Bond girl who he just had a quick dalliance with or something like that, and he had a massive mm. fight with daggers with somebody. I don't know. It, from Rush with Love works so well for what it is. I don't know. I've I've not done a list like you, John. I'm just going off for pure instincts on saying that it's where it is. It's a testament to what an unbelievable series it is that there can be so many films and that, you know, mid-table can be... I know we keep making football analogies, but mid-table can be within points of, you know, the type... As in... Yeah, absolutely. They, they yeah, yeah. could easily be at the top. 
And then, you know, you've got this series where they've got there's so much to like about all of them yeah. that it's so difficult to choose your favourite. And then, you know, you, you, it's such a um, prolific hit, hit after hit, really. And I know there are, you know, there are mistakes and faults along the way, but then it, that's why it's even more painful that we've gone to, we've got to a point where it's one good, one bad, one bad one, one good one, one bad one now where, you know, and that's being polite as in, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's lost that ability to be even consistent. Yeah. Mm. Even, even films that like, that we basically get derided and we're maybe not as big on. I mean, I was talking about For Your Eyes Only, you know, I was saying I'm not as big on it, but don't get me wrong, there is so much to still love about that film. And that's the thing is that on the older stuff, regardless of like, you know, what you think of it and all that, because it had that respect for what Bond is, there is something to appreciate in every single one of them. And that's why when you look at everybody's list of their favourite Bond films, they're so varied. And even if they are the same, it's for different reasons. Because there's so much mm. to love about this series. Mm-hmm. We could go on forever. Dime is off forever. We really could. But uh, I will <laughs> I will end proceedings by just saying what an amazing uh, film from Richard with Love is. We we do all value it and it's it's one that we'll we'll revisit, of course, throughout this uh, this podcast and whatever we do in critically assessing Bond. But thank you, gents. I think you've all been uh, terrific value again. Uh, thanks to John for your quiz as well. Thanks to Harry and thanks for Chris. And on Harry's debut, I think he did all right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah. It was a Timothy Dalton debut. Day and night. Broody and, you know, bit. no, I'm joking. Um, good stuff, guys. <laughs> um, joining the debate online, as we keep saying, we're on uh, Instagram. We've got the Really 007 podcast uh, Twitter account, Really 007 Pod, and we're also on Facebook. We are available at the moment on uh, iTunes and Spotify. And yeah, give us a, a review, uh, give us a, a high rating if you do like us, and get involved in the discussion. And thanks for listening. James Bond will return, Really 007 will return uh, for one off episodes, and we will uh, be focusing on a big review next with. Daniel Craig's Skyfall. My goodness me. We've discussed it a lot already in the episodes in one way or another, but we will be going into even more depth. But, uh, yeah. Thank you for listening, and uh, good night, chaps. Good night. Good night, sir. Good night. night. Really Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.